Notice the title of the message. The title of the message from last week, last week, was how do you know what love is? We see Christ. That's how we know what love is. We look to Christ, the example that he has. And we see that, and notice on your outline here, verse 16, by this we know what? What does verse 16 say? By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So last week we looked at this passage and we keyed on that. But this week we come to the parts of this passage that show us that we are called to love the church corporately and individually. We're going to explain what that means from this passage. Notice in verse 11 our key passage that is here, um, and we'll go right into the text this morning. In verse 11, for this is the message that you, that you have heard from the beginning. Let's read it out loud. What does it say? That we should love one another. Verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Verse 13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because, what does it say there? We love the brothers. So we know, look at verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life. This is the picture that you're saved. You know that you have a relationship with God, a saving faith. Verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because, interesting, we love the brothers. Whoever does not love Look at that, what it says, abides in death. We recognized that last week as very strange because usually the New Testament is talking about abiding in Christ, abiding in the truth, but now John turns it. And then, I mean, how do you live in death? Well, that's what happens when we continue in our sin, we continue in our fallen state, and we continue to live like the world lives in its current death. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a what? A murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You see, instead, he's abiding in death. He doesn't have eternal life abiding in him. Verse 16, by this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for what? The brother's. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother, singular, sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart, closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Verse 18, let's read it out loud together. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but indeed and in truth. Now that last statement there is not saying that we shouldn't love in word or talk, and the reason we know it's not actually saying that, this is, this is more of a, a device of, of emphasizing the latter part of the sentence. The picture is throughout the Bible we know that we are to love one another in word and in talk. We are to be kind in what we say. We're to be courteous in our speech. We see the, the Apostle Paul, we see the Lord Jesus talking about 
loving one another. We know that we are to do that, but the picture is, is that you're not to do that alone. The last part of the verse is that we are to love in deed and in truth. Well, this morning, as we, as we come to this text again, there's a few things I want you to notice. The review is there, and I would encourage you, if you're new to us this morning, this review helps you understand the big picture of where we've been in John. And all I'll say in, ver- in number one is, First John is all about true, genuine, saving faith. True, genuine, saving faith versus fake, self-deceived religion. And that's what John is trying to help us see, that here you are a church, and just because you're sitting in church, just because you're coming to worship, that does not mean you are God's. That does not mean you are God's children. That does not mean that you have been purchased by Christ. There are many who come to worship, and they come to worship for reasons that are not of God. And that seems very strange to us, but we see that throughout the Bible. It begins with Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel both came to worship God. One was evil and not turned to God. The other one came to God in faith and offered a sacrifice in true faith. And so we see that referenced even right here in verse 12. And so John is saying there's a difference between true saving faith and that which is of a self-deceived religion and there are tests. That's number three that is here. First John presents multiple tests by which one can evaluate if they have true saving faith. So you can go back and read the rest of First John earlier, and you'll see these tests keep coming up. And then we come um, to the key observations from last week. Just kind of notice those there. False teachers haven't changed the gospel message. Um, instead, all the way through, through True Christians love others, specifically other Christians. Fake Christians say they love God, but have hate for people. And so now we come to our message for today. Here's the thing I want you to remember. Fill this in. Christ commands that we love the church corporately and individually. And that's what this passage is talking about. We see a broad sense in which we are to love the church, but we also see at the end of this passage in verse 17 a very individual sense in which we are to love the church. Notice there what it says in verse 16. It says, we, in the middle of the verse, we ought to lay down our lives for what? The brothers, that's plural. And we've seen that each time in the other things here. Also in verse 14, the brothers. But in verse 17, it moves from being plural and corporate to being individual. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So under this remember part here, understand that the word, when we're using the word corporate, what do we mean by that? We're not talking about guys and gals sitting around a big business table in a boardroom. This isn't talking about a corporation in a legal sense or a corporate so much as a business sense. We're talking about a very useful term, and it's worth us exploring for a moment because we use this term when we're talking about the church on a regular basis. And so hopefully this morning, a statement that either me or Pastor Lucas or Pastor Ben or or Jason Hill, 
any one of us may use this term often, and I want you to hear it and understand it very well. Core, C-O-R-P-S, is a French word. It comes from originally corpus, a Latin word, but when we use the word C-O-R-P-S, it's pronounced core. Um, so it's not corpse or corp in that regard, it's core, and it refers to the body or a body. It's where we get the word a corpse. Now that has an E on the end of it, that's talking about a body. And so because it has the E on the end, you do pronounce the P and the S. But when we look at the United States Marine Corps, we don't say the United States Marine Corps. That would be talking about a body. Instead, we're talking about a body of specific elite soldiers. We're talking about a different, a, a, a whole group that works together. It is a core percent. So, notice these three statements that are here. Corporate worship refers to all of us worshiping. That's the church body is worshiping. That's corporate worship. We are together. Corporate prayer. We just had corporate prayer where Carrie Johnson led us in prayer. This is, refers to all of us praying. The church body is praying together. In a, in, as opposed to you praying at your home or you getting together in small groups and praying, that might be a type of corporate prayer. But when the whole church together is praying, we call that corporate prayer or corporate singing. We come together and sing together. Um, in the life of our church, yes, we have a choir. I'm looking at it right now. You're the choir. We raise the roof together. And that's, that's what we're to do in this beautiful picture of corporate singing. So the church body is singing together. So in this passage, keep following here, in this passage, we see the command to love both the church body as a whole, fill that in, as a whole, you are to love the church as a whole. We preached on that uh, somewhat last week. And to love the church body as individuals. So we, we pointed that out a bit last week as well. We're going to expand that this morning. In Ephesians 5.25, we see this idea of loving the church as a whole. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her here using the, the feminine to refer to her as the bride of Christ. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22, very important passage for us. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Do you see that? A love of the brethren. This is a love for the church. Now it switches to individuality fervently love one another from the heart. So this is talking about a very real love, both corporate and individual. Well, we want to ask the question, why should Christians love one another corporately and individually? Why should Christians do this? You know, there's a lot of times when you know why, um, it is the thing to do. It helps you do it better. Um, there are some people that, um, you know, they've been told to do something. Maybe you have been this way. I've been this way where I'm just told to go do something and I don't understand why. And when I don't understand why, it's kind of hard to do a very good job at it. 
But when I see my actions in light of a bigger picture, I can make more intelligent decisions. I can even be more passionate about doing it a certain way. And so this morning, it's my goal for us to look and to see why does God say in so many different ways that we should love one another? Why should we do it? Well, the first reason we should do it is because God commands it. There is no question that God commands us to love the body of Christ, both corporately and individually. And I've only written down a few of these passages. But Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18, back in the Old Testament, there as the law is being given, we see this statement, you shall love your neighbor, how? As yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That, that, that's kind of one of the beginning places where we begin to see that God is about us not only loving him, but God is all about us loving the people that are around us. And what we've saw, seen even last week is particularly those who are of the household of faith. And we see that language in numerous places in the, Old, in the New Testament that we are to certainly love the world that is around us, but we are to have a particular love for those who are God's children. We recognized last week that some people have a disdain for God's children. Some people even have a, a, a real repulsion to the life of the church, and yet they're at church every Sunday. Well, how do you know that they actually don't really love the church? Well, for one thing, they constantly are criticizing the individuals that are around them in the church. They judge the church, they judge the people around them in an endless number of ways, and they, they constantly are gnawing and scratching and clawing at the church. So they may be here all the time, but they are not showing a genuine love for the church. And we see that throughout the scripture that that is a very real possibility um, in the New Testament. And so the first reason that we should love is because God tells us to love one another. Now, it's kind of cool that my mom and dad are here today because dad, there were some times when we were growing up and you would tell us what to do. You'd tell us to do something. And I remember we would go, the three of us kids would kind of look at Dad and go, why do we have to do that? And he would say, because I said so. <laughs> and he didn't do that very often. But there were times when he didn't have time to explain it or maybe at the moment the patience to explain it. He was very patient most of the time. But, I mean, there, there may have been a time where occasionally he said, because I said so. Or another one, Dad, I remember that you used to say was, because I'm the daddy. <laughs> because I'm the daddy. That's why you're going to do it. I'm the daddy. Now, that's not all bad. Sometimes it's very important. A child needs to do something, and they're not going to know why. And you're not going to have to. They may not have the capacity to understand why. And you can't give that reasoning all the time. That, that's, not, that's not healthy. Dad usually took time, especially the older we got, to explain it more and more and more. And over and over and over and over. And that's what parenting has to do. 
You have to say it over and over and over, hopefully without being exasperated, right? But here we see that one of the reasons that we should love one another and we should love the body of Christ is because very clearly this is God's plan. And very clearly this is what God has said over and over and over again in the Scripture. But number two, notice this, it's not just because he commanded it, but because number two, this thing of loving one another shows the radical reality, fill that in, the radical reality of our new nature in Christ. Our new nature, as opposed to the old nature. The old nature in sin has a selfish reality, but the new nature in Christ has a spiritual reality that is very, very different, that is finally freed to love as God has called us to love. Look at 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1. Everyone who loves the Father loves whomever has been born of Him. So, Here's a part of the picture that if you love the Father, you love those who are born of Him. If you don't love those who are born of Him, this is the new nature in Christ, then you don't love the Father. That's part of the picture that is here. But notice Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 32. This is a longer passage, but it is so worth our few seconds here this morning to notice this because it really captures this what did we say in number two? The radical reality of a new nature in Christ. And the Apostle Paul is writing Ephesians, and here in chapter four, he really talks about that. It's too good to miss. Look at this in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now the Gentiles mean those who have not been given a new nature, the, the unsaved, those who are not in Christ. He said, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, underline it, due to their hardness of heart. So he's saying, you're not to walk like that. Don't walk like people who don't have Christ. They have a hardened heart against all that is holy and true. Look at verse 19. That they, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That's a very strong statement. Greedy to practice. That means they just, they want more, they want more, they want more. I, I want to go do the wrong thing. I want to go, I, I just, you know, we live in a day and time in increasingly where you can just look through our culture and see this great desire to go sin. Okay. There's no shame in it. And, and that's, that's been the case since 2,000 years ago when this was written. That was the case when the Apostle Paul was. The pastors and I were just talking this week about sometimes, you know, if you go on Netflix or you go on Amazon Prime or you go on um, some of the other uh, venues where you can download and you can look at movies, just the, the thumbnails of the movies, the pictures of the movies and their titles is astounding. I mean, the, the, the names of them are unbelievable. And, and I don't know if you guys can help me remember what some of them were. But I mean, you know, wicked and lustful and murder. And I mean, you just, you go through the names of the popular shows 
deceit. Um, it's, it's unbelievable the wickedness that is, that is very prevalent. Making movies about it, putting it out there for people to buy and to watch and to, to live, to, to kind of gorge themselves on. The, it is this greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Look at verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self. That's your old nature. That's your sinful nature. Verse 22, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life. And, to, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, verse 23, and are to be renewed, so put off the old self, verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. And so, look at verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sin go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Very similar to our passage above. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that, is, may give, that it may give grace to those who hear, as opposed to giving uh, a tearing down, a destruction to those who hear. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander See, all those are opposite of love. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice or malintent. Everybody read verse 32 out loud. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You see, this is, this is the... The new radical reality of Christians. If you are truly a Christian, you've put off the old self. You're not running in the ways of the world and all the impurities of the world and all of the hatred and bitterness and strife and clamor of the world. If you are truly a Christian, the picture is this, that you've put those things aside and by the grace of God, you have put on the new self of righteousness and holiness in God, as it says in verse 24, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And so this is a beautiful picture um, when the world sees us love one another, it is showing a new nature. It's showing a radically different thing than they are used to. There's another reason. Number three, the reason we are to love one another is because this strengthens, fill it in, this strengthens and confirms the faith of those we love. Here's part of the deal. When we, when I love someone here in the life of the church or someone here in the life of the church loves me and shows it with their words and their actions and their deeds, here's part of the picture. My faith is encouraged. 
their faith is encouraged. When you love one another, it encourages your faith. Now, think of the opposite of that. When there's trouble in your life, if you ignore one another, if no one reaches out to you, if there's no help given, if, if for the Christian there is no care and help in the course of their trouble, what happens to their faith? Very often, it can be discouraged. But part of what we see here in, in these passages is, is that we are to build up the body together, that we are to build up one another. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body, there it is, the whole body, the corporate body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in, what does it say? In love. Isn't that beautiful? That's what we're talking about. Just look at that. That we are built up in love. And so that's what that's what the Apostle John is writing in 1 John. He's saying, you are truly to love one another corporately and individually as you show the radical nature of Christ, as you show the beautiful encouragement of Christ that you may encourage one another and build one another up. Page 3, look at number 4 that is here. Why should Christians love one another uh, both corporately and then individually. Number four, because when we love one another, the glory of Christ is displayed because he is the one who enables us to live this way. So when we love one another, the glory of Christ is displayed. This is a glorifying thing um, for the world to see. Look what it says in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And so the glory of Christ is seen in our forgiveness. When we are forgiving one another, his glory is being seen. So this picture of we are showing the world who Christ is. It's not just who we are in a new nature, but it's who he is in the fact that he forgave us. Look at number five. The other reason that we should as Christians love one another corporately and individually is because we, because we love, when we love one another, you should put a when in there if it's not in there, when we love one another, this lures the world to love God and to see his love in Christ. This is, this is we're, we're, we're catching the world. We're using a lure. We're using something that they will be attracted to. And that's part of what we see in several different places in the Scripture, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, and John 13, uh, 34 and verse 35, we see the same thing. But look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to you. Is that what it says? Is that why we do it? We so that they may see our good works and give us glory. Oh, you got you Christians are so great. You know, you look at you, look at you. That is not the picture of why we do it. It's it's even counterintuitive 
intuitive to some degree. Look what it says in verse five, chapter 5 and verse 16 of Matthew. In the same way, your shine, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Um, right down there, John 13, 34, and 35. Because in 13 and 34 and 35, it also shows us that when we love others, the world sees that we are with God, that we are His. So it's an, it's an alluring of the world to the truth. Okay, so that's why we should love one another corporately and individually, but here's another one. How can we can Christians love one another corporately and individually? Number one, join the church. Join the church. Commit and submit yourself to the church. Commit and submit yourself to the body of Christ. There are some people who they say, oh, well, I have Jesus, and um, he's all that I need. I really don't need the church. Um, that's been a very popular false doctrine, false idea, in increasingly in the hearts of America uh, and the Western world. Um, and really, very particularly in America. Our individualistic society um, really plays against good theology and good ecclesiology or good church life. Um, we often think, I have Jesus, that's all that I need. I, I heard that sentiment even this week um, from someone in our community. But the picture is this. In the Old Testament, we always see God and his people in the New Testament, we always see God and his people, his people together. It's the, it's the nation of Israel. It's the people of God, the family of God that is, that is always the reference and the activity of what God is doing. And in the church, you cannot read the New Testament and come away saying they were a bunch of individualistic people. They were very corporately minded. They understood that they're part of the body. They understood that they're here for a reason for one another. So join the church. This has to do, fill it in, with your will. This has to do with you submitting yourself, committing yourself as an act of your will. You see, covenant membership is a decision and a devotion. It is a decision and a devotion. Now, the word devotion is very interesting. You see in the middle of there the word vote or votive. That means of the will. When you talk about devotion, you're talking about it's of your will to do this. And so this is a very important first step in why we should and how we should love one another, is to join the church, don't remain afar from the church. Number two, embrace the church. Not just join the church, but truly embrace the church. Some people say, oh, well, I'll get my name on the list. I'll get my name on the list. Isn't that church membership? Now, starting point people can answer that very clearly um, as of this morning. Even we were talking about the fact that church membership is not names on a list. It's not a database. Church membership, church Starting point, people, what are we supposed to think of? Membership. Body parts. Thank you. Body parts. <laughs> when you hear membership, you need to think hand, ankle, knee, 
ear. When you hear membership, you should think of a body that is connected together for a purpose, for the welfare of others. It's not just about you. My, my hand, only in some sci-fi movie can my hand move around by itself. We all know that doesn't work. The picture is the body is connected, and it's connected for a purpose. It is corporate for a purpose. And so when we come to embrace the church, this has to do with your heart. You're not just names on a list. You're not just joined in in some officially uh, recognized way. But no, you actually care about it. Perhaps one of the most beautiful passages in the Scripture that show us the embracing of the church is found in Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11. Look what it says. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Philippian church. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Look at verse 4. Always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. So he's praying for them, and he's praying for them with joy. Look at verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, verse 6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you, underline that, because I hold you in my heart. Because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace. What greater bond could there be than to be forgiven by God together? To share the life-saving, eternity-saving grace of God. He says, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So they're working together, they're a body working together for the sake of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all, underline it, with the affection of Christ Jesus. Do you love the people of the church like this? Have you come to love the church corporately? Have you come to love the church individually like this? I mean, do you really care for the people in this body like this? I can say that many of you do. Many of you do. Not a week goes by that I hear some of you and that the other pastors hear some of you say, man, I just don't know where I'd be without my church family. Many of you have said, I don't know how the world makes it. I mean, I've stood in the hospital before with some of you as we are standing either next to your bed or the bed of your child or the bed of your parent, and you have said to me or to the other pastors, I just don't know how the world does this without a church family. And my friends, many of them do so bouncing pillar to post from anguish to bitterness to great tragedy that winds up with all kinds of self-harm and destruction and even death because they don't have people that love them and walk with them through these things. 
Now, there is no doubt that God's grace is upon many people's lives that do not know Christ, and they go through difficulties together. Any of our medical community could say that there's some families that apparently do not know the Lord, but they love and support one another very, very much and very well, and I would say that is a prevenient grace of God upon them. That is a common grace. That, that That's a good thing. Wherever there's truth, it's God's truth. Wherever there's grace and love, it is God's grace and love. But I want you to know that there is a difference when you see the Apostle Paul writing with great passion in his love for God's people, the partakers of God's grace. Look at verse 9 with me. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. You see, we're headed to the finish line of Christ. We're headed to the finish line of finally seeing God face to face. We're not there yet, but we're going. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I just want you to see that Paul would not only say, yeah, I'm one of them, Paul would say, I love them. That's the difference in just, quote-unquote, joining the church and embracing the church. It's not just that I'm one of them, it's no, that I love them. You remember last Sunday we talked about that, how my brother said um, that he was coming to just truly love the body of Christ, love the church, and it had an impact on me, and I, I had to ask myself, do I love the church? You see, covenant membership is an affection and joy. It's an affection and a joy. And my question to you is, have you truly embraced the church? Do you have an affection and a joy for the life of the church? Very quickly, How can Christians love one another corporately and individually? Number three, you can serve the church. So join the church, embrace the church. Number three, serve in the church. Serve in the church. You see, this has to do with our hands. So the first one had to do with our will. The second one had to do with our heart. This one has to do with our hands. It's what we do. It's our actions. And we see that up in verse 16 and 17. By this we know that excuse me, by this we know love.